0: This is Do Good and Do Well with me, Sarah Fox, the podcast where we explore how you can help make positive change in the world without losing yourself. Hi everyone and welcome to the Do Good and Do Well podcast with me, Sarah Fox, a coach, mentor, mother and an ex-performing arts lecturer. In this podcast, we explore what it is to be leaders in the change-making space and how we can be more effective in what we do and how we do it and how we can manage all of that without letting our personal life slip. You're listening to episode 37 and today you'll be hearing from neurodivergent theatre maker, stand-up comic and producer Ali Wilson. But of course, before that chat, it's time for Sarah's suggestion. Today, it's about meetings and specifically how to be more savvy about what meetings you attend and what you do at the meeting. I have clients who will go to every single meeting not because they have to, not because it's important that they are there, but because they feel as if if they're not there, they won't be seen to be working hard enough. They'll be judged as to why they're not there, maybe looking like they're not effective or that they don't care, that it's not important to them. So despite knowing that. The meeting may perhaps not bring them what they need. They will still attend because of the fear around being judged. I would invite you to have a look at past meetings maybe in the last two weeks, maybe in the last month and look at the ones where you think, yep, absolutely. I needed to be there. I needed to know that. And I could only know that through that meeting and then find the ones where you think, "Mm, I could have had that information in another way, an email, a text message, a phone call with someone. And figure out what are the meetings that work well for you, what serve you and which ones don't serve you. And then start to think about, so how can you let go of attending those in the future? If then you have a meeting that you really want to attend, need to attend, then spend some time thinking about the meeting before you get there, which is sometimes challenging because often we can be running from one meeting to the next. But I would really urge you to take this time because um, ultimately it will save you time. Thinking about what's the purpose of this meeting? What do I want to get out of it? What do I need from this meeting? And getting super focused on that. What is it you need? What is it you actively want to avoid in that meeting? Look at how much time you have and what can be realistically achieved in that time so that it doesn't run over. At the start of the meeting, set the agenda if there isn't one already. You might say, Okay, so we have an hour together. By the end of this meeting, I would love to know A, B, C, D. What do you need from this meeting? Great. I'll keep an eye on the time. You're setting the expectation very clearly about the purpose of that meeting. And then check in on time. If any of you have been in meetings with me or or as clients, I will often use the phrase, I'm conscious of time. And I will say, we have 10 minutes left together. What do we need to get out of the next 10 minutes? And so you're really tracking that time. You're taking control of that meeting so that it doesn't go on and on and bleed into other things, which means you don't have time to get ready for the next meeting How can you arrive and set your tone, set your boundaries? How can you be clear and make sure that you're heard saying, I only have an hour today. I'll need to log off and leave at six o'clock. And how can you stick to it? That can feel really difficult because as humans, we don't want to miss stuff. We don't want to miss out. And you do have to be very strict with yourself about that. But you can follow up with a quick phone call or email, if you like, and say, did I miss anything afterwards? One of the things to say about this is that by doing this, you are giving other people permission to hold their time as valuable. Respecting people's time is an important aspect of getting our work done and getting our work done well. The things that might stop you are that feeling of judgment. Oh, I can't say that. What will they think of me if I say that? What if they think I'm bossy? Or what if they think I love the way they just spoke about their time in that meeting? They were friendly, they were assertive, they knew what they wanted, they respected my time. What a great person to work with. Let me know if you already do that. Let me know if you have other tips and tricks. Let me know if you give it a go and what happens. I'm so thrilled to share with you the conversation I had with the magnificent Ali Wilson. Ali is a neurodivergent theatre maker, a stand-up comic and producer and we talk about many things in this conversation. There are many things that we didn't get to talk about. I hope that it opens up something for you. I hope something resonates. I hope you learn something. Here is our chat. Hello Ali and welcome to the Do Good and Do Well podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well thanks Sarah, how are you? I'm good. I feel feel a bit chaotic this morning. The printer's been going off. I've had notifications on my computer but I, I feel like I'm sorted now. We're ready to go. So first question, what would you like people to know about you?
1: Ooh, that's a big, big question. I guess what I'd like people to know about me is that I'm neurodivergent and that I do quite a lot of work around that. Um, but it's also not it's also not the only thing that exists in my life. It's also you know just like one of other things. I also am a stand up comic and uh, and and an arts producer. But I think the the being neurodivergent is at times the most active or present part of my life, which is which is interesting uh, and definitely interesting in the context of working in the arts, which is a kind of ever, ever evolving employment landscape that, you know, is kind of constantly in flux for various reasons, as is my ability to focus or sit still or listen or behave in a certain way. Um, so that's one thing I like people to know about me.
0: I didn't know. We'll, we'll, we'll obviously talk about the neurodiversity, but I didn't know until you sent me your bio that you were a stand-up comic. How long have you been doing that for? Uh,
1: yeah, I am. So it's, a, yeah, not super long. I did. I did my first gig last night.
0: <gasps> did um, you? How did yeah. it
1: go? Yeah, you know what? It was good. I wasn't planning to do it. I've been doing this this course, um, kind of beginner stand-up for the past Eight or so weeks, and we have a scheduled showcase for the end of this month. But I, um, I just felt ready, I, I guess, to 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 try some of my my material outside of that environment, and you know, just kind of came across an open mic that was on Facebook in Manchester where I live. So I just thought, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to do it, and it was good. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I was the only the only non male comic. Um, alongside lots of um, lots of men, uh, and that was an interesting dynamic, especially because I I do my set in drag as a man, um, so that brings an interesting vibe to a room of men. But I I I didn't bomb, as we say in, in, <laughs> in comedy, <so laughs> yeah, I didn't die, and it was it, it was it was quite a buzz. So I'm looking forward to the next one. I have to say, I love that. What was buzzy about it? Yeah, well, the, I think the thing that was buzzy was definitely that they, they were, they were happy and surprised for a for for a female or just kind of a non male person to have joined that night. But they were particularly off put by me wearing a fake mustache, um, and they asked me, you know, oh, what inspired the outfit? And I just said, men, <laughs> men, you did, um, you inspired me. Yeah. And much of the set, well, it's kind of the, the whole hook is that I um, I do it dressed as a man because, you know, kind of socially men are funnier. It, I, that, that's what we presume to be true. Or, mm-hmm. And so much of the set is kind of playing off me saying questionable things that, you know, that we hear from men. And I think there was a bit of a buzz around, you know, them them finding it funny, but also not quite knowing what to or how to respond to these punchlines that are critical of them, really. Mm. But it was great, and they were all they were all really, you know, nice to me afterwards. And I think I, yeah, I was just interested in in the dynamic of what happens when you, as a queer person, go into a very very straight environment, and you just, you know, yeah, do things that they aren't expecting. So, it, yeah, it was a real
0: it was a real rush. <laughs> that's so brilliant I love that that you you went with it that you had this kind of sense of okay I've got some stuff I want to try out now oh look here's (laughs) an open mic night yeah I'm gonna do it is it in your comfort zone or do you you know yeah big question
1: it's been really interesting doing this course because you know I I have a I have a an undergrad and a master's in theatre making so like being on stage is not something that I Shy of at all, but certainly doing stand up is a real different set of skills. It's a different Mm -hmm. challenge, different mode of performance. I've certainly been been pushed out of my comfort zone in that environment. That course is led by a brilliant gay female comic, and everybody in the room. There's eight of us, and like. We all now really know each other very well. We know each other's sets very well. So I feel fairly sure that certain lines will get laughs when I'm in rehearsal in class. So this, doing that last night was, um, it was that, I think the, the, what was, the thing that wasn't in my comfort zone was like being cold, really, like being in a place where I hadn't met anybody in the room before. And I didn't know if any of them, you know, had any experience or any shared communal knowledge of being queer or, Wearing drag or having parents that are divorced, you know X, Y, Z things that come yeah. up, um, and that was that that was the challenging bit. But what's nice about these, these these open mics, and I'm sure it's not the same everywhere, but they are they are they're built to be friendly, and I would certainly say that I was last night. Because I've been rehearsing, I was I was fairly polished compared to some of the comics that were there, who had just kind of come with notepads of jokes that they wrote on the bus to the gig. So <laughs> there's a real difference there, and I was certainly open to that. So I think there's there's kind of like an exchange of you know I'm going to be open to what you bring, yeah. which is nice. But yeah. it's it was it was definitely outside of the comfort
0: area for sure. Yeah. Did you learn anything about yourself last night?
1: Oh God, what a question! Yes, no, <laughs> yes. Um, actually yeah so I haven't been in an environment where I'm physically meeting new people probably for ages because yeah. of COVID of course and I realised I'm still shy that hasn't gone I got to the gig and I had to go and sign up and it was just that all these guys that, that, that were doing the gig were over, over in a in a corner of this pub in town and I was told by the bartender oh you got to go over and just speak to Tony I don't know who Tony is <laughs> And I, I, just sat down on the other side of the room. Just had to like work up to it, you know. Just be yeah. like, right, you know. So you go over, you say hello, you say, "It's totally you no know, blah blah blah." Um, and that was that was still a challenge. Um, but I did just say to myself, "You've got to go over there, else, else, I'm, else I'm sat here dressed as a man with a mustache for no reason." <laughs> so I learned I'm still shy, but I also learned that I'm also able to pull myself out of that. Yeah. When I have to.
0: Yeah. What a great lesson. Thank you. One of the reasons why I wanted to invite you onto this podcast, because you're brilliant, but also because of all of your work around neurodiversity. And I'm reading the Every Brain website again this morning. I wanted to read something out that really struck me from the website. Neurodivergent people are thinkers, makers, designers, performers, writers, magicians, solution finders, technical wizards, and much more. The creative industries need us, but often exclude us. And I just wonder whether you can talk a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, for sure. I I remember writing those those few lines that sit on our About page for the website. And I think that's a great, that's a, a good passage of text because it's an example of how I really try with every brain to find ways to talk about neurodiversity in a really creative way without it being like just kind of factual descriptions of what it means but to also personify this this aspect of science and um, so talking about it in terms of like who we are which is writers performers wizards you know xyz felt like a good way into that for me and yeah it's true you know I've got I've got many, many friends and you know, colleagues just in in Manchester who work in the creative sector and are neurodivergent. And I don't know them as my friend who is autistic or my friend who has uh, OCD or lives with depression. I know them as my mate, uh, you know, uh, Tom, which is not Tony. him. But- <laughs> yeah, Tony. My <laughs> mate Tony, who's a writer. And part of him is that he's dyslexic, you know. Um, yeah so that was that was important to me to do that and cuz i think i feel that much much of the reason why every brain exists is to combat the the fact that i think venues and organizations and this, these these bigger institutions they don't understand neuro- neurodiversity diversity on personal terms they understand it on like numbers and facts in a way that doesn't speak to our experience and doesn't understand what, what we contribute, but, but it it instead like kind of quantifies us, you know, and, um, Mm. and so for me, that kind of description of a a bit of the neurodivergent community is, is important. And the thing about excluding us, I mean, yeah, it's just, I suppose it's just really quite eye-opening, especially in the context of the pandemic, knowing that, When all of the able-bodied, neurotypical people could no longer go to work, we found ways for them to work from home, to be flexible, to keep the world moving. But people have been asking for those kind of conditions for ages because for some people, working from home uh, is one of the preferred ways to allow them to to do excellent, great, creative work. Um, And so, yeah, we are in many ways, excluded from the creative sectors. And that is because of a lack of understanding around how to make people feel comfortable in the workplace. Um, and I mean, yeah, I could rant for hours, but the, there are there are barriers in every single yeah. aspect of finding employment, keeping employment, and, and also leaving employment for people who are neurodivergent. Just some practical examples of that are things like how we apply for jobs and having to submit CVs, having to write these like really lengthy applications. How we also, how we build connections in this industry that relies on like going for a coffee with someone that you've never met and having to keep eye contact and giving good first impressions. And there, th- these barriers are massively uh, massively productive in keeping neurodivergent people outside of these inner circles. Um, mm. And that is exactly why, Every brain exists to just try to be one of, you know, many projects that are building bridges between uh, this amazing community of fantastic
0: brains and the people with the money and the power. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so much in what you've said there. Every brain has produced this. Guide as well that I was reading again this morning and touches on a lot of the things that you you have just spoken about. It's interesting about applying for jobs and this, you know it. it we we enter this world of work and these systems are normalised. It's normal to have a CV. It's normal to have to write a massive application. There was something in the guide that really struck me. I think probably because I'm a coach, which was about not asking open questions in the Mm. interview. Mm. And that just had not occurred to me until I read that. It had not occurred to me that... Because as a coach, you're taught, ask open questions, ask open questions. or You know, that's a big part of it. And as a teacher, ask open questions. (laughs) And so it feels such a natural thing to do and it had never occurred to me that actually that could be a barrier for someone being able to be their whole self I guess and kind and and bring yeah bring their whole self to the to that process
1: yeah I think it's a really it's a really good point and it is it is linked to i think something that that just like anchors so much of this work which is about the issue of ambiguity mm-hmm. uh, in in general and so open questions uh, i mean uh, i i can you know understand the attraction but what they do is they don't give in that context they 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 deny the person being interviewed clarity about what you want to know from them I don't know where I've I've read or heard this I think it's quite a common phrase but you know to get great answers we need to ask great questions Mm -hmm. um and 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 those questions in job interviews are often they often require the person answering to 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 be able to mind read almost what exactly you want to hear from me and what that does is yeah it it, it not only denies me clarity, but it also denies you or whoever is is the interviewer the chance to witness me giving you a great answer. And the kind of magic trick about all of this, I think really is, is that, you know, asking more specific questions in, in an interview, that doesn't only benefit somebody who's neurodivergent. It literally, it would benefit anybody who is interviewing it's not just this community who may or may not find ambiguity difficult to navigate mm. you know the thing about interviews is like that there are there are always chances you know at the end or afterwards to expand things if you want to give more more information but it's like when you're in the heat of the moment you're nervous you're anxious you might have traveled for ages you might have never been to this place before you might never met this person in front of you or you might be on the phone like there are so many kind of stresses involved Mm -hmm. the more information that like i can be given to around what is expected of me the better yeah and it's only in the employer's interests to
0: also plan their questions well you know and get and get great things out of it in the employer's interest absolutely and in that as well as part of that section it talks about why not offer the questions (laughs) And when I read that I was like "Uh, yeah (laughs) like for everybody why not say this is what we're going to ask you I think I can imagine what the kind of counter argument to that is is around you know people can go and get help about their questions and all that kind of stuff but you know you want to you want people to reach their potential you want people you want to get the best as you say you want to get the best it's in the employer's interest it's in the um, applicant's interest to be able to show up and do their best work um and it's really challenging some of those very normalized behaviors Mm. And, and asking the question, I think that's what the pandemic has done a little bit, is for us to ask the question, does it have to be this way? Mm. Does it really have to be this way? How did mm. we get to this point? Well, we got to this point because, you know, 50 years ago, someone said. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so I think the, the guide that you've produced, I think the work that you're doing is, is so important in terms of challenge. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and
1: that's an interesting word because certainly that's part of the intention of, of it you know and, and hopefully what you might maybe say legacy for now um, and and also there are people that have that we've spoken to at some some stage of this project who have come who have used the word challenge to, to describe this as something negative. It's challenging the way that they run their workplace or challenging how they or if they value their, their employees and their, their their freelance network but I certainly like to use that word as a as a as a positive thing I think that's just the key as well is that this guide and all of this work it's not intended to call call somebody out or tell somebody mm. off if you've never heard the word neurod- neurodiversity before that's fine and here's a guide where you can read a bit about it you know there's like we're not here to shout at anybody for potentially misunderstanding or not having realised. I think that there's just this kind of crisis at the moment, especially in the UK, maybe just the kind of Western world in general, about being defensive of what you don't know. And that doesn't help us move forward uh, in any way from, like you said, these kind of, you know, prehistoric ideals that were set ages ago. That's also reflected in things like the names of particular neurodivergences, for example, with um, ADHD which is known as attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, you know, like that was named by somebody who is not neurodivergent. It was named by some like, you know, white dude who was experiencing kind of, I don't know, young boys, you know, running around and being a bit loud or, you know, disruptive in quotation marks. Mm. And I would love to spend time doing the work that's like, how do we take the word disorder off of this this label that you've put onto people? Similarly with autism, I hope that we are moving into a kind of a time now where people that are neurodivergent um, are feeling empowered to like take up take some public money. You know. At, as I did and take up some space on the internet and in the physical world and advocate for themselves and and, and be supported by allies mm-hmm. yeah to start reframing this as not as something that we need to hide or like you know make changes for but that we can just embrace and enjoy cuz i think mm-hmm. it's a joy i love i love having adhd <laughs> it's a it's a roller coaster
0: <laughs> you know yeah well it reminds me of um um i don't know if you watched strictly come dancing but yeah. in the dance that was on the uh, last weekend rose and giovanni and and she talks about how joyful being deaf is and how you know how how it's um, brought so much richness to her life and the communities that she's been able to be part of mm. and that is such a different narrative to the one that we have generally heard before mm. and i think with adhd looking at the landscape now looking out and, and seeing particularly women having that diagnosis mm. in their 40s, in their 50s, and looking at how amazing they are and it's creating a new narrative which I hope will 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 what am I trying to say um, will enhance what you're saying about this yeah. is great
1: yeah 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 totally and um the the exposure of somebody like like rose on strictly is fantastic and that dance that you mentioned where they have this yeah this kind of short period without any any music it was so powerful um yeah it's brilliant and and it's i think it's also important as well to to just mention briefly here like there are there are lots and lots of differences and similarities between the experiences of people who are deaf and neurodivergent for example and I think often as people who are in you know in 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 whatever ways you might claim kind of uh, disadvantaged in the able-bodied world I think there are forces that try to kind of Uh, put us up up against each other but we actually have far more in common than we do in in difference and Mm. there are sometimes very like much needed kind of in community discussion or kind of heated debate around how to talk about our experience what we should be advocating for and I'm sure it's the same within the deaf community and the wider wider disabled community but I think where our real strength is is as community members is when we is yeah is is when we stand as allies with other other people of the world that experience some form of barrier because of the way that our body is built or or our brains are built. Um, and yeah I absolutely loved watching the 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 strict episode and I I really I like rarely watch it. It was just that I was away with my parents and they wanted to watch it and I was so pleased that we caught that particular um, dance and um, and just got heartwarming because th- there's that clip them afterwards where they've got this kind of VT of like young kids from a local deaf school and they're like saying to ro- you know to Rose thank you so much and brilliant and yeah I there's just I yeah I, there is so much joy there and there's I think the issue here is that the mainstream media doesn't doesn't platform like the successes and 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 the joys of um individuals and communities who are disabled uh, you know, and or neurodivergent at all. And so it it feels like, oh, you know, kind of big news story that, you know, there's a celebrity who's deaf and she's great. But like, that, like of course. <laughs> yeah, <and laughs> yeah.
0: Of like, course. <laughs>
1: what, what else is there to say, you know? Um, but yeah, fantastic. And I hope that it's the beginning of institutions like the BBC, who, you know, uh, using their their privilege and their position positively rather than, Mm. um, yeah, rather than negatively. Mm.
0: Yeah, because I I was thinking about how that dance could have gone. And, you know, so often that can be, you know, about the difficulties. And, and of course, those are important to talk about, but it's like you say with the mainstream media, so often it's about the bad news, isn't it? Regardless yeah. of what the topic is, it's about, like, what's the bad stuff that's happened? What's the bad stuff that's going on? And we rarely, rarely hear about what's the brilliant stuff that yeah. exists and can help drive us all forward to make a better world. Um. Yeah. just talking slightly about the kind of the 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 flip side one of the things that I know you've done is taken a step back a little bit to have a rest after doing all of this work yes can you talk a little bit about that yeah
1: certainly we um the kind of uh, I'd say all of the work that we produce which kind of in total was like 10 artistic commissions, which included working with around 40 neurodivergent creatives from across Greater Manchester. That was like in, in full throttle from the end of February of this year until, yeah, September, pretty much, and funded by the Arts Council with support from a number of theatres across Manchester. And so should not have been, for me as as director or lead producer, should not have been full-time, should have been probably like a day and a half a week, but it was absolutely full time uh, alongside other projects. And that's now that that's partly because uh, I I I had never managed a project of, of such scale before. I I've managed lots of different projects of various sizes, and I you know felt definitely able and you know skilled to manage this. And I, I I would still maintain that, but it's just that this project, uh, what I, yeah, what I underestimated was the passion that myself and all of our, all of the team members would bring. Um, And that sounds like I didn't think that we would care about it, but I knew that we care about it, but I didn't, I just didn't know that it would become our entire lives. (laughs) When you're also, not only you've got a big to-do list, but you're also like, supporting all the other people that were working on it the level of responsibility is just yeah it it, 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 it was just all in, all consuming managed to manage to keep it going and managed to get everything done on time which I'm very proud of and everybody that worked on it was fantastic and worked hard in a pandemic as well and I think the thing about working in a pandemic the impact is um uh invisible mm-hmm. um you can't see your energy bar go down like on the sims or something you know you have to listen to yourself and definitely one thing with ADHD that I experience is that I'd, I very genuinely don't know when I'm tired most of the mm. time because I'm because I'm because I'm like so charged with interest and curiosity and energy so yeah we got to we got to about July I was also having to do other work and um, some of that work was like quite also quite time consuming, um, kind of seasonal bits. Um, and I knew, I kind of knew, knew in my mind that once every brain was done, I, I I would just, I would need to be very quiet for a bit. And I've never really had that feeling before, but, um, anyway, we got to the point where we'd made all the work. We had hosted it online. Everybody was paid, uh, Apart from me, but that's happening soon. Uh, and <laughs> I and so. um, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, and I, I remember like going to bed one night and thinking, no, yeah, I don't actually have anything that I need to do tomorrow for this project. Like it's pretty much tied up. And then the next day, I, I sat at my desk, and I couldn't move the mouse. I couldn't. I, I couldn't lift my hands to type on the keyboard. I couldn't think about an email. And it was as if burnout had just like switched itself on overnight, um, and I was just just in this state of like I I can only sit. <laughs> on the wall of my desk, there is this picture of like um, some plants that I that I got in a magazine, and I mm-hmm. I just was looking at it for so long. I've I've never felt so drained and so unable to put words together in a in a sentence, um, and then. I knew something was coming, but I didn't know what it would look like or how it would feel. And I'd say now, where are we? Middle of November. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's two definitely two full months since this finished up. I'd say I am getting to the bottom of the anxiety barrel, but it's still there. You know, it's still very much living, trying to just uh, move through it. And so, yeah, I knew that at the end of this, I knew that I really cared about this work. I I can see the impact it has had even just for 40 people to be paid to be neurodivergent. Like, that's massive and I'm really proud of that. I also know this work is not sustainable if I I crash and burn for six months Mm. of the year. Mm. So, you know, yeah, next time probably has to be slightly smaller, smaller scale uh, and also finding ways to, to... Practically, like, paying myself to do more days so that I'm not doing four of the jobs at the same time. Like, practical yeah. things, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've been on a break, doing very little. And I don't, I, I don't know when I'll go back to it. At some point, probably. But I'm also trying to not think to myself that I have to. Yeah. Because I think one really great thing that is happening is that, you know, this project was important for what it is. But it's also... I think I've realised it's also important in terms of it has. I I feel it has empowered other artists to like to start up their projects around particular experiences around neurodiversity. For example, through that project, um, I met a great guy called Adam Welsh, who has founded now the first. Um, the first like talent representation group for people who are neurodivergent and it, and it's blown up and I'm like great like there's somebody else is like flying the flag for a bit and I don't have to take on that responsibility and and I and I don't want to all the time I, I don't want to always be the the, the person doing the work around Being neurodivergent, so I think I'm trying to like reframe the whole thing as like what 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 we did was good and people got paid and that's so important. And now other people are doing things, and I and I don't have to drag myself through the mud, you know. Um. So that's my long speech
0: about being burnt out. I just thank you so much for sharing that. There are, I think there are a couple of things for me in that but i think are so pertinent to this podcast and you know what i'm trying to do here hearing you talk about i d- i knew that we would care about it but i didn't know it would become everything and it, and i said to you before we started recording that part of this is that understanding that being a change maker someone who really cares about making a difference in the world is such a double edged sword on the one hand it's great because we you're in touch with the thing that you want to change you've got a sense of purpose you've got a sense of meaning you have some satisfaction from that project because it means so much to you but the other side of that is because we care because we want to make a difference and we want it to be good we want to put out good stuff um, because it matters it means that often we end up overworking overgiving, mm. overhelping, over <laughs> helping overthinking way beyond what we had envisaged the thing to look like in the first place so it's that great we have meaning but really having to be quite strict and boundaried about what we're going to give of ourselves and that leads me to the second point around the personal cost of that yeah and and the personal cost of having this sense of meaning and purpose and what that can mean for our personal lives yeah and having very little left for that personal life because we've given it all over here our attention has been all over here and yeah. as you say you've had two months of having to recover and recuperate mm-hmm. and how practical is that and actually how I don't know if this is the right word, but how fair mm. is that? Because you want to do other things. Like your your stand-up comedy stuff, I could see when you were talking, could hear in your voice how, like, amazing that is and how much you love it. Yeah. That's the stuff that you want to nourish yourself as yeah. well. Yeah. Because you're more than the one thing, as you say. Yeah. And I think the third piece that I, that feels so relevant is that sense of letting go and and. And I would encourage, invite all listeners of this podcast to think about what can you let go of? What what might you need to let go of and let other people take the reins? Mm. You know, great, be a catalyst, lead, bring new perspectives into the world, fantastic. But do you need to hold on to that the whole time? Do you need to hold tightly like an elastic band ball? Does it need to be yours or... Can you let it go and then it becomes something else? Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Just it, it's yeah, just thank you for sharing that because I think it's such a good example of yeah. what so many people are going through. Yeah. Um I'm conscious of time. My question then, Ali, is what does do good and do well mean for you?
1: I think um I think what's important is 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 not to break up. Do good and do well, but that those two things have to have to be at, be together at the same time. I think certainly in the context of Every Brain, for example, I really felt like everything is important. Every email, every phone call, every, every you know, every micro decision that I make will have an impact for somebody. And you know, there are lots of things about being neurodivergent that, for some people like me um certainly it, can, it 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 can contribute to us being highly sensitive highly uh self aware and so that's why really thinking about what i was doing all the time was a priority uh and certainly didn't happen because i was so stretched um and so i think when if you're not building the framework for yourself to do the work well then you won't do it as good as you as you want those two things are not exchangeable for each other. Um Mm. and in really practical terms as well, I think it's it's about um to do good you have to be well. (laughs) And being well sometimes means delaying, taking more time. Yeah. Like also sometimes giving up. Or not or not giving up, but like letting go and giving it to somebody else to do it you know, to do a a different kind of good. Um, I think probably the underpin for me is that no good comes without being well. Mm. And I don't think our, uh, I don't think like Western ideals of productivity and capitalism and those sorts of things encourage us to consider that in in any way, actually. It's money-driven and success-driven. But the good, the good will come when the well is prioritised, is what I've learned this year, and what I I hope to take into the next number of adventures that I find myself mm. going on. Um, <laughs> so that's what it means to me. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, a really great way of thinking about it. It does no good to not be well, <laughs> and you have got lots. Of- <laughs> You're doing there. <laughs> The comedy. You're a trustee of contact. I think as well. Yeah. And you've you know you founded Every Brain and and all of those things. What's next for you then? What are you thinking?
1: Yeah. um, So certainly trying to um, really commit to learning about stand up. I find it very interesting and thinking about like I haven't I haven't made a show for a few years because of COVID and I'm thinking about making a show about learning to do stand up maybe kind of marries two interests for me but other things that I'm doing producing a brilliant show by a friend of mine that I uh, that I produced last year that uh, is is going to go on tour which will be the first time I've uh, toured any kind of work so that's exciting yeah. and I am doing some research of contact and doing a bit of project management but I'm just going to manifest it that the, the thing that is the focus is 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 stand-up and and also developing a kind of like drag king knowledge and learning about that 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 kind of corner of 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 queer culture that I know nothing about, mm. but I find really interesting and quite exciting. Yeah, drag king. Mm. That like
0: it never occurred to me that <laughs> Yeah. of course that's it's the a thing. thing. Of course it is. Yeah. Okay. So we're manifesting this is your thing, the thing yeah. moving forward. Um Thank you so much, Ali. I I think people are going to really love listening to this episode. Thank you for being honest and open and, and sharing your knowledge with us. How can people find out more about you, find out about the guy, all of those things?
1: Yeah, in terms of Every Brain, you can go, the best place is, is, is to go to the website, which is www.everybrain.co.uk. And that's where you can find links to all of the work that was made, including the guide and the other artistic commissions. And there's also links on that website to all of the EveryBrain socials that you can find um, and then me personally I sit on Twitter for a large part of the day uh, and I am at Ali we should, well it's it's at A-L-I-W-I-L 267 so it's at Ali Will 267 and the same on Instagram uh, and there's a link on on those pages to my website I don't I, I don't know the URL to my website so I won't try yeah, <laughs> right,
0: but, it, but, it, but, but it's like uh, link in bio sort of deal. yeah I will put everything in the show notes so people can access you quickly. I would really recommend uh taking a look at the guide. I've actually printed it out because I think there's a lot of practical stuff in there that I'm going to take away. And yeah, check out Ali's work. And I'm I'm looking forward to seeing your career in drag kinging. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whatever yes. that looks like. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, take good care. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. Too. you too.
0: Thank you so much to Ali Wilson for joining me and so generously sharing her thoughts. If you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoy this podcast, please do go and leave us a review or a star rating or mention us on your social media. It really does help people to find us. You can find me pretty much anywhere as at Sarah Fox Coach on social media. My website is www.sarahfox.co.uk. And for more tips, ideas, thoughts, reflections, and a weekly reminder that you matter too, come and sign up to my newsletter. Most of all, take very good care.